Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, alongside my good friend, lead pastor of Grace Life Church in beautiful downtown Sarasota, Florida, Joe Davis. Joe, how are you? Man, I'm excited to be here, Jim. Thanks for doing this, and I can't wait. Amazing, right? This is our first ever episode of Living the Grace Life podcasts. We will be discussing what else? What is grace, and what does it mean to truly live a grace life. We'll also dive into the introduction of Pastor Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. All that plus what to expect in our upcoming episodes, our email box, which is empty at the moment. (laughs) Yes, it is. We're waiting. (laughs) How can that be? We haven't even introduced it. Our email box, we will let you know how you can email us some questions. And finally, the Grace Life goodie bag to see what gifts await you our listening audience. But first, Joe, looking at your book here, you know, the topic, The Grace Life. I mean, that's, did you want to take a take on a small topic, I guess? Right, to right. Well, I figured I'll, I started off as a pamphlet, <laughs> but then I couldn't stop. <laughs> what, so the idea... Where do we even start almost? Living a grace-filled life. I'm not even sure I know where to begin. If someone were to ask me, hey, Jim, are you living a grace-filled life? I think there's so many definitions and so much that that question even entails before I even know know how to answer. What were you thinking when you put down this as the title of the grace life? What in your mind is living the grace life? Well, let's get real vulnerably here right away. So the first thing I want to say is for years as a full-time pastor, uh, I was extremely disappointed in the fellowship of churches. And I don't fault anyone else but myself, but I found myself wanting more. And I began to think, shouldn't there be something supernatural and magical about how we relate to each other as a church? Because about that time, I started studying Philippians in my own personal time. And I just fell in love with this ancient church. I don't know anybody in it. I don't know how they met. I don't know what kind of elders they had. I just know what Paul wrote about them in the book of Philippians. And he just had this amazing love affair with these people. And it was unbelievably rich and unbelievably deep. And when you say fellowship, are you referring to the camaraderie or the community aspects or the way that maybe people rely on each other or just the, I mean, there's this whole element a lot of times of religiosity where people are sort of pretending and maybe not. Are you getting into that space by saying, well, you know, we're not really being real here? Yeah, I got to say camaraderie and fellowship is the easy part of the grace life. And what I see Paul even just in the first couple verses of Philippians, Paul makes it pretty clear that I want you guys to know something. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you. I'm overwhelmed with this gratitude of knowing that you're in my life. And I found the first thing, it was it really grabbed me. I did a study of the word gratitude. Mm-hmm. It actually comes from a Greek word that means good grace. <laughs> so right in the middle of the word gratitude is the word grace. And it was just unbelievable. He says, I find so much good grace when I think about you. And I went on to look more and more about what they were doing. And it went far deeper than camaraderie and fellowship. 
So this really goes to the heart of the way people are relating to one another. When you say gratitude and the idea, or you're really talking in essence here, the idea that we are interconnected one another versus it being, okay, I'm going to help you. You're going to help. We're going to get along here. There's a type of interconnectedness that maybe supernaturally happens or how how does that even occur? Well, it has to be supernatural because it's so anti-human. But his relationship with them clearly went to levels that were extremely, what we would look at today as very uncomfortable intimacy, vulnerability, sacrifice that actually would cost the sacrifice or something significant so that someone else could go and be a blessing to others. And uh, it just stacked uh, incident upon incident as I read this. And I thought, man, I want to be I wish I could join the Philippian church. <laughs> <laughs> you want to create create that in the here and now. The Phili- yes. Well, it sounds like you, in a way, may have or may be doing that. So the inspiration then for Grace Life, Sarasota, the church. Give us a little, was the book, is what's chicken or the egg here? Is the book first and then the church, the church and then the book? How does this Grace Life, because obviously the church name, Grace Life, you're beginning this type of journey into that element of where you see the church actually belonging and going. Was it the concept of Philippians that was driving you there? Was it more, oh no, I would rather ensure that a church like this exists? Oh, now I'm going to write the book? How does that? How did that work? Well, it wasn't chicken or the egg. It was two eggs. It's just one of them was an ostrich egg and one was a chicken. The ostrich took a lot longer to hatch, which was the book. <laughs> so at the very beginning... I wanted to have a church like Philippi. And so it was actually, believe it or not, Jim, it was actually easier to start the church than write the book. (laughs) Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're starting then the church, the vision in your head is there's this church in Philippi. Paul is just so committed to it. I haven't seen that in my life. I haven't been connected to an institution like that. I need to be the one that started. Is that what you were feeling called to do? Is that what you were hearing? Yeah. So uh, this actually was the first series I preached at the church. And the very first sermon, the concept behind it was why I love you. And so I took on the role of Paul as a pastor, talking to the people that were there to help us start Grace Life Sarasota. And I began to list all the ways that I love them because I've known many of them for years. And uh, I went through Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And as Paul would say something amazing about the Philippians, I can say with all integrity, I honestly feel that way about you. I went through each one of them. And uh, it was one of the most emotional experiences. I've preached thousands of sermons. This day that we started the church and preached this message was one of the most emotional ministry moments of my life. Because wow. I felt like, okay, the good thing about grace is... I don't have to do everything perfectly, that God's sovereign grace is going to work in spite of me and not because of me. And that was an amazing comfort. Yeah, there's almost a freedom in knowing that grace in and of itself is allowing you to then go out, be whatever it is, do whatever it is that you feel like that you might deem right at that moment. And God has the ability to to take that and then make it into whatever he wants. And I think from that standpoint, then the idea of grace, is it going down the path of the good news? So let's say the gospel of, of Christ. If someone were to say define 
grace. When in your head you're picturing the church of Philippi, you're deciding this is the church I want. You've got grace in your head. How are you defining it in your head as you're doing that? Well, obviously, and even Paul mentions this, the ultimate example of grace is the example of Christ on the cross for us. Grace is undeserved favor. And God showed us favor by allowing his son to die for us so that we might live and be connected to him. It is, an, it is a great example of surprising generosity of Christ that he allows us this incredible gift of grace that is totally undeserved and unmerited. And so, yeah, that is the focal point and the foundation of grace life is the gospel of Christ, uh, unfiltered, unadulterated, and unadjusted for modern times. Yeah. Because I wanted the same message that the Philippians had that caused them. <laughs> Let me just share with you. So this was a a church that was full of orphans and widows for the most part. They were still suffering from a lot of the war-torn history over the last 70 years or so. They were still not recovered from that. And even the young men who weren't uh, fathers or things were being conscripted by the Roman Empire. And this was a letter written by Paul Mosfield in prison while he was confined in chains. Correct. And not having the ability to actually go and see them, this was his way of communicating to them based on his current circumstance. Correct. And so he started this church. And what was amazing is Paul was going to all these other regions like Corinth and other places that are rich towns. Philippi is not a rich town. And it was very clear when you look through different parts of the New Testament, Paul makes a lot of references to the Philippians as being people who were the first funders of all his missionary journeys. Like other churches joined in, but he says, I am thankful to you for your partnership with me in the gospel from the first day until now. And even when he was talking to the Corinthians about their giving and generosity, he says, I need you to be more like these churches in Asia Minor. So here's a church full of orphans and widows, and they are giving in a relentless way that allows Paul to take the message of grace and redemption to other people. Yeah, right from the get-go, he's starting. And when you talked about gratitude, just to read here, this Philippians, he starts off the letter to the church at Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So it sounds like to me, interestingly enough, as you began to preach this series for the first time at a brand new church, without even knowing a lot of the people that were there, you began to feel this unbelievable supernatural joy coming from the people in almost this corporate sense that you were in effect living out that message of something that you had been dreaming of and had no idea how that would look. It was a surreal moment. I mean, it was almost, almost brings me to tears thinking about it now. Here are these people that come from three different churches. By the way, there were other local churches that helped us. You know, it was three churches from three different denominations that came together and said, we want to be a part of something new that you're doing. And so it was in this surreal moment as I'm preaching this, that you have these people who are willing to be sacrificial and intimate and vulnerable and surprisingly generous because those were our, some of our core values. And uh, I really felt like I was 
connecting to what Paul was feeling when he wrote Philippians. Yeah, you yeah. got that chance. These Something amazing that, people. And yeah. the reason you're starting this church, uh, or did start this church back in what would have been the summer of 2016, or actually more like the fall of 2016, the idea is to model a little bit of, sounds like the church of, of Philippi. So as you began Absolutely. with Philippians, did you understand at that point that you were already modeling that type of church just by beginning it? Or did you feel like there were... I wanted I wanted to model it, but I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, wanted to, I wanted our church to be like that. Uh, but I, again, I wasn't sure. But I, I just knew what my heart wanted, almost selfishly, what I wanted to be a part of. And uh, I was almost saying, guys, here's what we would like to do. Can we do it? Can you help us? <laughs> and so, because we didn't really follow a book on how to plant a church. We right. didn't get help from an organization. We just did something that you're not supposed to do. We started a church with about $20,000 and about 150 people. <laughs> That's really all we had. <laughs> so, And a vision, though, yeah. which at the end of the day... An inspiration of this church, this first century church that is just... Uh, uh, I'm obsessed with the story of them. I wish there was a Philippians 2. <laughs> <You know? laughs> to carry on. Well, maybe that's what you're, you're creating yeah. in a sense. So, so how then when you begin this and you look at Philippians and you decide, okay, the tougher part of this appears to be I've got to sit down and put everything in writing. I've begun the church, the grace life. When you say teaches us about loving one another relentlessly, what do you mean by that? Relentless love means that you're not derailed by their failures or your own, their deficiencies or your own, your lack of finances or theirs. Uh, relentless love means that personal tragedy uh, is not a hindrance. Uh, you actually see your own suffering as a gift. Uh, their suffering can be a gift as it draws you closer to Christ and to one another. The relentless love means that there is nothing that's going to derail your commitment to one another, to live the grace life together. So relentless, what I mean by that is exactly what the word sounds like. I couldn't think of a better word, relentless love for one another. And since you have started the church, have you seen some of that relentless love already before you in terms of the congregation, in terms of the support, in terms of people there? Because it sounds like this was one of the big driving factors. Other churches that you had been at, while they provided some of the impetus for this church, there it was almost what you felt was missing in those that was driving this one, not here's what you see, and you're not following a rule book for church planning 101. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll reemphasize, it wasn't that the other churches failed me. Mm -hmm. It was more like I failed them. You know, I didn't really understand how to interact with a church. Got it. And so it was, it was almost like God said, okay, finally you learned it. Now I'll let you do something else. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> but I've seen unbelievable examples of it. Unreal, right? It's it's so strange to see what happens when you open the door. I mean, the way I found the church was just, I'm walking, you know, Daisy, our toy poodle, uh, Sunday morning, thinking here's, uh, we just land in Sarasota. This is a new town for us. I remember. <laughs> I don't know anything. And uh, of course, I hear the church music and I hear, I yeah, had played you know, they were so desperate they needed a drummer at the American Church of Paris where I was coming from that I, oh, wow, I think I recognize <laughs> that music. And I walk in, you're there, and 
it's in a comedy theater here, yes. right yes. in downtown Sarasota. So not didn't see the steeple or the cross or anything. And I have to say, I almost immediately felt something was happening here without knowing that then the moment that we are here, that my daughter would call us about three weeks later and tell us that she was surprisingly seven months pregnant and have to leave university and come to Sarasota, which where we moved happened to be four minutes away from Sarasota Memorial Hospital, um, where you know some people. So there's a whole backstory to that. So for me, coming in contact with you right out of the gate, you relentlessly pursued us in this from the standpoint you checked in the congregation people we didn't even know rallied around and were we had one couple in the congregation say listen we don't know what you're going to do with this baby but uh we'll take it yeah, yeah. <laughs> isn't that amazing I, and i don't I was, yeah you're speechless i mean literally you're just and when the hair starts to stand up and you're like when you come that close i think to the contact of that pure joy that pure love and that total sacrificial like you're saying giving of oneself to someone you don't even know who's almost like i mean they're they're really kind of taking the role of a lifetime commitment right i didn't make this mistake they're saying but some mistakes might have been made guess what i'll take it i'll take the hit and i'll then pretend and that's the key of the with grace you're able to filter everything through love so you don't see them as mistakes. A grace allows you to see them as opportunities for surprising generosity. That's so true. Yeah. And and I had never experienced that at a church anywhere. And so for me to walk in the doors and feel that and know that, it's almost like grace cannot be fully understood until there is suffering and until you have hit a certain point where you have to say, Grace, I can't do it. Grace is not quantifiable. It's only experiential. Which means in terms of experiential, you, you can not, only encounter it as life. Yeah, as it's it's not something you can achieve. It's not something that adds up. It is just something that is given to you by sovereign God who loved us first. Well, Joe, now's the time where the book, it's its time to begin. This is why you wrote it. We're yep. get, we get a chance to spend several weeks in the grace life. What Philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly. And it says Joseph Davis. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. The publisher said it was a lot better than Joe, but don't ever call me that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't, you know, I've called you all kinds of things. Yes, I'll just, I'll keep that one. So, <laughs> you uh, talk about, and we're going to do the introduction today. You've got in here ten chapters, and then a workbook at the end of each. So, what we're going to do is go through each of the chapters, discuss it. Might take a week, might take two or three, depending on the material, and then we'll do the workbook. So, for those of you listening, um, we'll give you information on how to. Uh, get the book uh, at the end of this podcast, Amazon, obviously the easiest place, and just type it in, grab the book either by Kindle or get it published, and 
you can follow along. And that's the great part, I think, about this podcast is we're going to have the ability to have people start from this show and take it all the way through the book. So you talk a lot about intimacy and vulnerability. We talked about that previously. The introduction to this book, you talk about one of the most important events that occurred in your life. Do you want to tell us what that was? uh, In September of 2007, my wife and I and my son, Ben, uh, we lost Sarah, uh, our daughter. She was 18. And she died in a car accident. She was on her way to babysit for one of the other pastors in our church. And obviously, something like that happens. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's one of the, it's the, I think probably the hardest thing you can go through is to lose a child. Um, but it also reshapes your values. What you thought was important before that event uh, suddenly changes immediately after. And uh, without getting into all the details, I'll just say this. After more than 20 years as a full-time pastor, uh, what that event did is it made me realize that I had been spending half my time doing stuff I hated just so I could have the opportunity to do what we love, which is reaching out to people who maybe don't fit inside church walls. Wow. So it almost sounds like a tragic event such as that, that words can't describe almost gives you this sort of vision and freedom to then understand maybe where your time should be spent. Is that where it began that you then decided that you would start your own church or write this book, or is that later down the road? No, none of those things were in my mind at that moment. All I knew was the way I do ministry has to change. And in what way? Well. I knew that I wanted it to be less about a career and more about a calling, less about a paycheck and and more about a passion. And I guess that would be the best way I could describe it. And uh, it changed what I thought was important and it changed how I, no longer did I feel like I had to do ministry within an institution. It needed to be more organic, direct with people and not filtered through an organization uh, or a particular process, if that makes sense. It does. Um, and then, so the the event happens. Do you do you then feel that immediately, or how how does that come about through uh, a, a track? Because I'm sure there are many in our audience that have been through horrific events that they've that they've suffered from. It sounds like in your case that something was happening after Sarah's death that you didn't have before? Was it a slow burn? Was it, was it almost immediate? I mean, how? It was, it was pretty fast, about three months, three or four months after. Uh, we did what you're not supposed to do. They say when you're grieving is make big decisions. But we left the best paying ministry job we'd ever had in a church that we adored and loved us and were incredibly gracious to us during that time. Uh, loved us in, in relentless ways, caring for us while we're grieving. We cashed in every penny of our savings and our IRA, and we moved back to the town that we really loved in Sarasota. And we started a non-for-profit called the Nightlife Center, which reached out to at-risk teens that churches and schools could not reach. And that was a 
10 years ago. <laughs> wow. And Nightlife Center, explain maybe a little for some of the audience out there that may not be familiar with Sarasota or... Well, um, it's just a teen center that we uh, that we started that uh, reaches out to at-risk students, students who are at-risk themselves or have parents who are at-risk. And we do ministry in unconventional ways, but we don't compromise the message of grace or hope or anything like that. But that, that was sort of inspired by a tragedy that changed our value system. And it made us begin to, I think I would say that that was the first time looking back now that I could put a definition on when we really started to understand what it meant to live the grace life. From the worst possible thing that probably could have ever happened to you is someone who doesn't understand grace or doesn't understand would would might ask the question, how can that be? So in in the midst of all that suffering, I mean, is that something that you feel that Sarah would have wanted? Is that something that you felt was sort of dedicated to her memory? Or yes, besides that, there was there was something much bigger. How would you explain that to someone? Well, I tell people all the time, of course we wish it had never happened, but I would not be the pastor I am today without it. And uh, I don't know that it needs any more explanation than that, that it changes everything. It changes the way you look at people. It changes the way you look at your calling. It changes the way you handle money. It changes everything. But I will say this, the only way that something like that can be inspirational and transforming is if the sovereign God has given you grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and has given you enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment that the world can't understand. I often teach our people, and it's in here, that joy is defined as the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. In suffering or in hardship, or if you have plenty and you think you're victorious, Paul even says that. He goes, I've learned to be content in everything, whether I have a lot or nothing. So true, right? I mean, that's how you come to terms with that. You mentioned in the introduction that through the process of grieving, God worked in our hearts and led us to forgive and reach out to the woman who killed our precious daughter. God enabled us to show her grace just as he had extended his amazing grace to us. Uh, When you say he worked in your hearts and then led you to forgive that person what does how did that happen the only way that that happens is if god has given you a view of life that is eternal and not temporal and there's a lot of things the listeners can read into that statement about my daughter about the lady about us uh once you start to realize things are eternal and not temporal it changes how you interact with the temporary if that makes sense. It does. It does a lot because I think when we, uh, from my understanding of words, just just say eternal life that are used a lot of times in uh, John or the, in the gospel, it doesn't necessarily mean or even mean at all what's going to be happening post this life. We're, we're in a way bringing this eternal life into the current state of who we are and where we're at. And by living in that state, we're actually experiencing Christ and his love for us. Is that sort of in that uh, realm? or Yes. And then I would add to it that once you understand what grace really is and how much you don't deserve it, 
it becomes virtually impossible to have an understanding of grace and not be willing to extend it to everyone and anyone that God brings into your life. I mean, because in the end, if you say that you understand grace and redemption, but then you don't extend grace that you have been given to by God to someone else, then really your faith is meaningless and it's powerless. Uh, I would rather have a faith by grace that enables me to begin to be like Christ would be to others as he was to me. Yeah. And that's happened. Like this transformation is happening because you say here in the book right after that grace is unmerited favor bestowed through the gifts of love and mercy. What God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate example of grace when we truly grasp this gift. The ability to live in grace with those around us grows supernaturally in our hearts, and we too can extend grace in ways that defy common sense. Yeah, that that's the part that I really want to emphasize. Grace is not rational. Grace is not logical. It is a supernatural concept that defies regular human common sense. And how do then how do we know if we're entering into grace? That's such a great point because all of a sudden, as you say, things that we either couldn't do on our own or never thought of to do on our own, all of a sudden they're happening within us. How does someone who's wondering, well, hey, I I would I want some of that supernatural grace? Is that through prayer? Is that through giving your life to Christ? Like, you know, how do I how do I do that? How does that happen? Well, it can't be manufactured by a church program. It can't be bestowed on you by a great sermon. Uh, it can't even be given to you by reading a book. Uh, that type of supernatural grace, uh, according to Ephesians 2, is a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Even that faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift or else you'd be able to brag. And so uh, there is nothing that man can do through his programs, his intellect, his creativity that can create grace in the life of a person. Every time it is a supernatural thing. And I think that when you start to realize that, you will have a better ability to be giving of grace to others when you realize I have no business enjoying grace. I got no business right. enjoying grace. And somehow it's been given to me anyway. Who am I? To not extend it to others. Yeah, it's like seeing your sin and sort of going, oh my gosh, this is, you know, how could I? Why did I? And then understanding in that freedom, because a lot of people say, ah, Grace, it's a free pass. There's really just, you know. Yeah, it's so much more than that. And I just I just want to add that there are some theological systems that would teach that grace is a result of us making a decision. And I'll tell you, even us being able to make a decision is a result of grace. Like, I mean, it's funny to me because some people think that they can choose God. Okay, the, the, the wealthiest, most intelligent person in the world was Adam. And even he rejected God. <laughs> How arrogant of any of us to think, that, oh, well, yeah, but Adam didn't know what I know. And so I'm, grace is always God choosing to give us faith. And I just think that's very important. I couldn't. I, yeah. And it's so true that, you know, people get hung up on the whole story there about Adam and how they will almost look to say, okay, now, whoa, that just caught God completely <laughs> off guard. Time for a rescue plan. Didn't see that one coming. To me, it's always, oh my goodness, what an amazing loving creator we must have who by design knows that humanity, Adam and the rest of us are going to fail. It's created that way yeah, to and, fail, right? And without I mean, the sovereignty of God, we don't have grace. 
There's no need for Christ. There's nothing right. that man can do to manufacture it. It's only given, and Correct. God chooses as Correct. to how that how that happens. Well, the book, The Grace Life, what Philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly. Please go out and buy it. We want you to ensure that you're able to follow along with us here for the podcast. This was just Joe. We just we just skimmed the introduction. You know, we're yes. we're on about a ten year plan to do this. Yeah, book. right. <laughs> <laughs> go to Amazon. Be sure to get it. We've got a giveaway that's going to be coming up, and we're going to tell you about that next. That's right. For all of our listeners out there, Joe, we're going to be giving away five of your books, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly, five signed copies. Did you check with my wife on giving away five books? I don't know if, <laughs> well, honey, if you're out there, it wasn't my idea. Maybe don't four. Be mad at me. Yeah, that might be. <laughs> there could <laughs> be more. Jim's fault. But the key to getting one of these signed books is you have to email us. That's the way to do it. Email us your questions because we feel like not only are we going through the entire book review on what it is to live the grace life, but we want to know from you all of the questions out there regarding grace, regarding why it is you might need it, why your life should change, what it is that you need to do out there. That's what we're here for. So just email us at livingthegracelife at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. I set that up, Joe. How about that? Fantastic. My tech skills <laughs> were at work. Livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. Email us your questions. And if we pick your question that we read on air, you will receive a signed copy of The Grace Life. You can get your copies at amazon.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or go ahead and Google The Grace Life by Joseph Davis. And please... Get your book as soon as you can, because it would be great to have you follow along and join us. If you get your book later and you're listening to this uh, several weeks or months or even years after we did this podcast, don't worry. It's going to be like a Netflix drop where we're just going to throw Word. the entire season on. Then you don't have to wait for each podcast. Perfect. How about that? That's the great news. So that's our giveaway. That's our email. Join us each week here, because really, Joe, for me... There's nothing more important than understanding what it is. Everybody, to me, out there has got some type of habit, some type of addiction, some type of hang-up that's causing them this sort of barrier. And if I think we have a chance, and we'll get into more things as we have future episodes, to me, seeing a lot of my flaws and a lot of the issues that I have, are they're almost sacred my flaws and my sins can be sacred. That's the topic of our of our next podcast. So I want oh, you excellent. to stew on that. Excellent. And excellent. see what you think of that. That's our show for today. On behalf of Pastor Joe Davis, our studio producer, Wayne Delaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next week. And whatever you do, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.